Murray here. Welcome to First Up. It's Rahina Monday, the 8th of August. Corner Truebridge Aho. Coming up in historic medal hall at the Commonwealth Games, Chef Demission Nigel Avery joins us from Birmingham. The All Blacks go from worse to, well, worse. So who's really to blame for their fifth loss in six games? We're live in South Africa. We hear from Destiny Church leader Brian Tamaki about his next protest. And residents of an iconic Auckland spot say a surprise visit from council has left their street looking a little bare. We looked outside in the morning and there was two guys in our trees taking our swim down. <laughs> and we were like kind of shouted out the window and we're like, oh, is everything okay? And they were like, oh, we're removing all the swings from the street. Welcome to First Up. I'm Nick Trubridge giving Nathan a, uh, well, a well-deserved Monday morning off this morning. Uh, nice to be with you. We're going to begin in the US, uh, where, of course, President Joe Biden uh, is now back at work after a rebound case of COVID-19. Uh, joining me now from New York City is our well-rested correspondent, Anna Burns-Francis. Morena, Anna. Very warm here, so I don't know if it's too restful. <laughs> well, yeah. 30 degrees plus heat, isn't it? Hey, don't complain too much. It's it's it, We're blanketed, absolutely blanketed in fog here, and it is freezing. So, look, you know. Okay, and, I'll yeah. take the win. There you go. Um, hey, look, we'll get to Joe Biden in a second, um, but let's start with Alex Jones. Uh, who may still be in shock, really, after having to fork out, uh, well, nearly $50 million in his defamation case, uh, made to look pretty uncomfortable at times in the courtroom over the last week. What's sort of next for Mr Jones? Yeah, yeah more court cases and probably more money and um, quite a lot of it. Because this was only the first of three cases that Alex Jones has already lost. They're now going through the settlement phase of each of those cases, all of them taken by the families of children that died at Sandy Hook Elementary. That was the mass shooting in 2012 that resulted in the deaths of 20 children and six teachers, America's worst school shooting since Columbine. But U.S. conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, I'll say it otherwise known as a complete crank, has for years maintained that the whole thing was a hoax and a setup by the government to usher in new gun restrictions. Now, it was when he went after the parents, in this case, those of six-year-old victim Jesse Lewis, uh, he claimed they were crisis actors and liars. That's what got him into court and got him into trouble because they sued him for defamation. Defamation is not protected under Alex Jones's right to the First Amendment and free speech, which he tried to use as a defence. But if this trial is a thing, a sign of things to come, not looking good, his lawyers accidentally sent the entire contents of his cell phone to the plaintiff's lawyers, and that's how they pinged him for lying. Uh, just a final point, though, when it comes to money, Jones, who is a multimillionaire, probably isn't too worried. Now, he does have to pay the $4.1 million in compensatory damages, uh, but when it comes to the punitive damages, that really big number, that's actually capped. So although the jury returned a verdict of $45.2 million US, it's actually only going to be $1.5 million under Texas law. But there are those other cases to come, and, of course, Jones's problems don't end there because now the plaintiff's lawyer is going to turn over those phone contents to the investigators of the January 6th coup because, of course, Jones was involved in that too. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about Alex Jones. I was about to say he kind of operates on the periphery of US politics, but uh, in, a, in a strange sort of a way, he's kind of become more prominent over the years, hasn't he? Who is he? He absolutely has. And 
the, the who is Alex Jones actually is such a contradiction because he flies in the face of some, you know, talks about aliens and frogs and all sorts of really weird conspiracy theories and people being goblins, things that if you listen to them one off, you would think this is absolutely insane. But he also treads a very fine line just on the border, on the fringe of big news events. And then he tips into this shadow of he calls it questioning these big events. So we see Alex Jones as a very far, very far right uh, figure, very conservative. Um, perhaps you would have in the past considered him a Republican. Now I think you can safely say the Republican Party has split into two factions and Jones sits well off into a conservative movement of its own. Mm. And that is really this concept that the United States needs to return to a firm uh, originalist reading of the Constitution, that this is the return of 1776, if you take away my guns type vibe. And it's really stirring up that rhetoric. Now, without calling it, well, I'm going to call it what it is, basically, it's a money-making operation. He's very, very wealthy. He's up to 200 million plus US dollars worth. And you can see in his accounts, he's been funneling it off as soon as these legal issues started, because he probably quite sanely knows that what he says is completely false, mm. complete fake news, and will eventually be called um, called up in front of a court. Yeah, totally. Uh, hey, let's uh, go to Joe Biden. Uh, he's back at work, uh, and actually, you know, while he's been sick with COVID, he's actually had some some pretty solid wins. Uh, healthcare and the environment, hasn't he? Yeah. Which so this was um, a, a bill that didn't get the support originally of two. Democrat senators in particular who sit pretty conservative and pretty straight down the middle and probably you could accuse them of leaning right sometimes, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. Now Joe Manchin makes a lot of money off the coal industry. He was really the hold up with this bill. Now he has managed to get some concessions and it's finally sitting on the Senate floor. Uh, they've actually been debating it for the last uh, roughly 18 hours now, I think that they have been going for. So they're still going right now. It's worth $430 million US, that's 690 to you in New Zealand. And the focus is climate change and healthcare, but there's some really weird stuff in there. So to get Joe Manchin to agree, there's uh, provisions such as no solar or wind projects on federal land unless there's an oil and gas permit issued to go with it. However, there are some good things. There's the capping of prices on some medications, but this is where the lobbying comes in because we've seen overnight the insulin has been stripped out of that provision. So whether the final bill looks anything like the one that went in front of the Senate to start off with, we'll have to wait and see. But certainly there will be an opportunity for Democrats and Joe Biden in particular to pitch this as a win at the end of the day. He's managed to get something big and through. Yeah, interesting times. Thanks, Anna. Uh, Anna Burns-Francis there from New York City. We'll check back in with you next week. Right, it is uh, five or uh, eleven minutes past five in the morning. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nick Trubridge. I'm in for Nathan today. We're keen for your feedback. Yeah, it's an obvious one, I guess. Uh, did you watch the ABs yesterday morning? Did you get up at 3am only to be bitterly disappointed? Or have you been watching the Com games instead? Because, I mean, it's probably, yeah, I, th- I think I'd rather watch Aaron Gate win four medals uh, than watch uh, another All Blacks drubbing. You can text us 2101. You can tweet us at first up RNZ. 
Uh, or you can email first up at rnz.co.nz. You can find us on Facebook. We're also on Instagram at first up RNZ. Right to the war in the Ukraine, which has been going on for six months. Uh, there have been at least at least 10,000 deaths so far, although experts say the toll uh, is probably actually a lot more. The invasion has also left many homeless and fending for themselves. But former Tauranga Mayor Tenbi, Mao, uh, Tenbi Powell rather, has been over there volunteering in the war uh, to try and help those in need. I spoke to Tenbi a little bit earlier and I asked him why he felt the need to be in Ukraine. There's three key reasons to this, really. Firstly, I have a broad professional background and skill set, including military and business, both at senior level, and service on government entities such as APEC, for example. So I'm comfortable in dynamic environments and can get things done expediently, most particularly if there's a great team of people and I'm surrounded by great people here. The second thing, and and look, this will come as no surprise to anyone, um, and I'm sure this is a view shared by many, but I believe this war has the potential to alter world order through both country alliances to some degree, but more so its economic impact. We have already seen stifled growth. We've seen increased inflation. New Zealand's suffering that, as many countries are, and potentially long-lasting damage to supply chains. For example, here in Europe, the impact on alternative energy sources is now very apparent with the emergency restart of coal-powered stations by Germany, Austria and the Netherlands. All those three countries have lifted restrictions on power stations that use fossil fuels at a time when we were, as a world, moving away from coal. And look, I guess the third thing, and this is very public again, I had stage four prostate cancer. And while things are good right now, I'm really only one blood test away from further treatment. So I'm throwing myself into this while I'm fit enough to do so. You mentioned your ability to get things done expediently. Tell us exactly then what it is you're doing. Well, I guess in summary, I'm in the process of establishing an entity called Kiwi Care, uh, Care with a K, being an acronym for Kiwi Aid and Refugee Evacuation, with the name of standing up a New Zealand base to run a 12-month operation from which supplies and equipment can be purchased, organised and um, most critically distributed. And additionally, we will have the capability to offer evacuation services for internally displaced persons from troubled areas while offering that same skill set to um, to other operations of a similar nature here in Ukraine. People are going to uh, to wonder why you're there, Tenby. I mean, you, you've obviously you've had successes most recently winning the election in Tauranga a number of years ago. Obviously, your business career speaks for itself. You're dealing with a, a cancer diagnosis, as you say. So what is it? that pushes Tenby Powell to to get up off the couch in New Zealand and Auckland and go over there when you could just sit back. Let's get off the couch in New Zealand, Tauranga, just saying. Right, um, I stand corrected. The, <laughs> look, Nick, the, the world stood by in 1939 and was very slow to act, and look what happened. Now, I'm not suggesting there are necessarily those parallels here with Russia and Ukraine, but there are some. And, you know, I think we have to act. You know, I've only been here for three weeks in Poland a week prior to get networked, and things have evolved very quickly. And in that time, I've travelled thousands of kilometres throughout Ukraine, assisted a wonderful Australian team in the delivery of tonnes of supplies and material, 
we've evacuated uh, four people so far, and I've worked with a Polish team delivering ambulances. This stuff, as very practical and grassroots as it may sound, is making a positive difference to the war effort. We should all be concerned. I mean, I'm just going on the on the economic issues alone, for heaven's sake. But we should be concerned that these wonderful people are being subjected subjected to to tyranny and terror, which is the only way to describe it, really. And we should be here. We should be involved. We should care, and we should be very concerned about the future. Tell us about your first impressions over there, Tenby. Uh, you mentioned you've done things like, uh, well, helped evacuate four people. I think you said. Tell us about the devastation. Tell us about what you're seeing. Tell us about the mindset of Ukrainians as this all continues. Wherever I go, I find the Ukrainians are warm, friendly and generous people. Many we visit have very humble homes, particularly around the outskirts of Kiev, for example, places like Iplin, Bucha, Andravika, Druzna, where many have lost homes either partially or completely, destroyed during the Russian occupation of those villages. Notwithstanding that, they, they willingly share meals and they don't have much to share, some of them. And they want to talk openly about the situation. And as many, I mean, New Zealanders are great travellers. And as many who have travelled widely know, uh, and I hasten to add, particularly those who have had the privilege of wearing the uniform of a member of the New Zealand Defence Force, once you share a meal with people, they tend to openly share their troubles. You know, the barriers of language and politics and even religion soon vanish. You get about trying to solve the immediate problems. And in the case of many Ukrainians, they are those on the lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is to say they need food, they need water, and goodness me, they need shelter with the impending winter about to arrive. And just quickly, those you, you mentioned those people you had helped evacuate. Tell us a little bit about them. One was a very young mother and her seven-year-old son. And the other two have been kind of publicly accounted for in the media in New Zealand particularly, uh, which was an 80-year-old Ukrainian woman uh, whose son lives in New Zealand. Uh, and we got her from Mikolaev. And, and so to a, 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 a profoundly deaf 28-year-old uh, man. Lovely, lovely chap. We're hearing a lot of chatter that Mikolaev was going to get shut down, and indeed that chatter has proven to be accurate. It has been shut down. And we were there really moments before, well, a day before, the Russians stepped up artillery fire. Now, this woman, and I'm talking about artillery fire in and around the city of Mikolaev, in and around residential suburbs, targeting, for example, as, as has been well documented, people standing at bus stops. These are children going to school. They are men and women, civilians going to work. So we got in and got this wonderful woman and this, this young man and got them to safety really with, I think, honestly, 24 hours to spare. And it feels great, Nick, obviously. You know, you feel like you've made you know, something of a contribution to the war effort because one of Putin's aims, of course, is to have families separated, is to encourage a mass exodus into Western Europe. And so it's nice to think that you've done something small in that regard, but huge for the family in the sense that they have been reunited. And if you want to help 10B Power's effort to help the people of Ukraine, you can go to Give a Little uh, and just search in Kiwi Care. That is care with a K.
It is coming up to 20 minutes past five. I'm Nick Trubridge and for Nathan Vardini, you're with First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, have you checked out the prices of fresh produce? $4.60 for a single capsicum at uh, my local countdown. $4.60. Um, we'll hear more about that uh, very shortly with our Minister of Fruit and Veg, Glenn Forsyth. Uh, and residents of an Auckland street are left scratching their heads after a surprise visit from the council to remove neighbourhood swings. Well, they are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as your head. Right, joining me now from freezing cold, freezing cold Topo is our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, Glenn Forsyth. Morena, Glenn, how are you? Very good, Nick. How are you, buddy? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Uh, a little warmer than, than you are down there, I'm sure. But, um, hey, look, let's jump into it. You've been doing some reading, um, so we don't have to. So tell us what you've been looking at. I do love scouring the internet for everything fruit and veg and popping up on the then Yeah, um, last week was an article titled Foods That Contain Almost No Calories. The list was 29 items long. Now, take a guess how many were fruit and vegetables? Mm, I don't know. Enlighten me. All 29 of them were. So, you know, yeah, hard case. With a whopping 24 of these being veggies. I mean, and so many of these veggies you can enjoy raw, which, you know... uh, gives you the most enzymes, vitamins and minerals needed for good health. I mean, have you tried strips of young raw swedes, for example, Nick? Oh, of what? Oh, young Strips of young raw swedes. Oh, swedes. Yeah. Do you know, I don't I don't think I've ever... Maybe I've had... I'm, look, I don't think I've ever had a swede. Uh, it's, I could imagine my grandmother in Levin having maybe grated some or put some into a mash, maybe? Yes, yes. Once upon a time, but no, not not not. Um, it's Swedes have never been front of mind. Okay, so imagine this, and, and all we're mentioning this list, but a Tupperware container to take the school or the office with strips of raw carrots, Swedes, beetroot, celery. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, capsicum and sugar snaps. I mean, amazing, great, tasty snacking food, and a heck of a lot better for you than a packet of crisps and a can of fizzy drink. Now, clearly, with raw, you've lost no goodness. But back at home with your boiled veggies, don't throw that juice down the kitchen sink. Put it into the gravy or use for cooking dishes such as stews, soups, pasta and rice. And when Dad, and when Dad boiled up his 421 soup through the winter, he would give us all a cup of the juice before dinner like a miso drink. And he, you know, he would call that mineral water, however we had other names for it. But, you know, so it's, it's all very good. Get, get into it, you know, strips of um, raw vegetables this week and, and uh, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And, and Connor, you know, in many ways, in many cases, the best way to eat vegetables, right? Because there's nothing, you know, when you were when you were younger and you used to sit up for dinner and like you'd have carrots or swedes and they were good, but they'd been like boiled to absolute buggery. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, anyway. Um, hey, let's move to potatoes because yes. you've been investigating the potato business um, and there's a particular variety you want to touch on. Oh, we do. Um, the lines we were seeing or hearing from this morning in Pimple Supply at the markets were mushrooms, butternut, orange kumara, carrots and red onions. And don't want to jinx our green supply. However, broccoli, cauliflower, leeks and celery, they all had a good presence at the Auckland markets as well. And I heard you talk about capsicums. Yes, they are dear. However, we grow them ourselves and we've heard it from the biggest capsicum grower in New Zealand. They start with their first new season crops next week. So wait for that filters through, and a week later you'll start to see prices come down, generally early September there for you, Nick. And remember years ago, probably when you were a twinkle in your old man's eye, we never had capsicums at this time of year anyhow. 
However, a wonderful little vegetable we want to mention today are the piccolo potatoes from Wilcox Bros in Pukekohe. They're cute like a Jersey Benny. They're pre-washed and colours in the bag range from gold, red or purple. Wilcox pour them baby-sized potatoes with a grown-up flavour. They are super easy to boil, roast or bake and they add great colour to your plate. So talking with Dean Langle-Reed last week about these, sales manager for Wilcox, he adds they are essentially a fully mature small potato and his favourite is roasting them. On their website, look up roasted piccolos, potatoes and Mediterranean vegetables, which includes two red onions, a red capsicum and some garlic cloves as well, and that's an absolute gorgeous dish. Hey, thanks, Liam. We'll do fruit on Friday. And uh, joining us now from our business team is Anan Zaki. Morena, Anan. Morena, Nick. How's it going? Yeah, really well, really well. Uh, hey, look, let's jump into it. Uh, what's first up on your list? I've got something about grocery supplies. Yeah, well, uh, you know, we have this index from uh, Infometrics and Foodstuffs, uh, the grocery company, uh, and it, it's showing grocery supplier cost increases uh, have accelerated to 7.9% uh, annually in July. And so it's a big jump, and and it, and it is higher than June when we saw a 7.1% jump. And now this, of course, uh, means that the prices we pay at the till are going up. Now, one can debate why Foodstuffs has uh, partnered with Infometrics here for this study, but that's something for another day. But look, the biggest driver uh, in the jump in the cost, uh, according to this index, has been the increase uh, in the supply cost for produce, so your fruit and veggies, uh, and that's up 16%. Uh, and we also had butchery and seafood costs go up uh, quite a bit as well. Uh, now, we spoke to Infometrics uh, economist Brad Olson, a familiar voice for many of you, and, and he told us that uh, costs have been rising at quite a bit, quite a bit of pace uh, since about April last year. And look, the bad news, if that wasn't bad enough, is that it doesn't look like the pace of growth is uh, going to slow down anytime soon. Because suppliers, uh, they're under quite a bit of pressure production-wise. Um, we have labour market pressures uh, also playing its part. And uh, they're also facing, you know, cost cost rises as well, transport costs being one of them. So we're, it, seems, it seems like we're in this never-ending cycle, Nick. Yeah, never-ending cycle, all right. Uh, that's that's one way of putting it. Hey, um, thanks, Anand. Appreciate your time. Uh, you'll hear more from Anand. Uh, and more business uh, from the business team on Morning Report uh, at 10 to 7. And while we're on business, let's just have a look at the money markets. Uh, turning to how the New Zealand dollar is being traded around the world. Well, it's currently at 62.66 US cents, 90.25 Australian cents, 61.3 Euro cents, 51.57 British pence, 4.21 Yuan, 84.03 Japanese yen. And if you're travelling to Lesotho, for whatever reason, one New Zealand dollar will buy you 10.46 loti, the local currency, the loti. Right, uh, now to something a little bit more interesting. Uh, the Com Games. It's the second to last day of competition. Uh, and on the second to last day, 
we've reached a real milestone because Aaron Gate has just won his fourth gold medal on his bike, the road race this time. Well, joining me from Birmingham is RNZ's Felicity Reid. Morena, Felicity. Good, Nick. Let's go to Aaron Gate because he had that really, really bad crash in the Olympics and he's back with a vengeance, isn't he? So tell us about what he's done. Tell us about how big a deal this is. Well, he's certainly not feeling the effects of a very heavy program here in Birmingham. Like you said, it's just his fourth gold. So that's one on the road in today's road race, following three in the velodrome, as well as a fourth place in the road time trial. He's been a busy man and quite a successful one as well. And to put that into context, he is the first New Zealand athlete to get such a haul at a game. Something maybe slightly comparable is another cyclist. That was Gary Anderson in 1990 at the Auckland, when the Commonwealth Games were in Auckland. Uh, he got three gold and a bronze. So this is quite an impressive feat. And today he really had to put in the work. It was a sprint finish to a race that went across 160 kilometres of the Warwick countryside. So this is something that the cycling community are calling a bit of a surprise because he, I guess, pumped really hard and got past South Africa's Daryl Impey and Scotland's Finn Crockett to cross the line in first. But after speaking to him when I was up at the road time trial the other day, he didn't seem too confident ahead of today's road race. He was sort of speaking as if he was going to be a bit of a team player and help out the other New Zealand cyclists rather than be the guy that was picking up another medal. Yeah, pretty cool stuff. And those guys who beat are no slouches either. Um more medals, uh, where are we? The white ferns and the silver ferns. What have they done? Yeah, they've been calling it a, a Super Sunday here in Birmingham. Mm. It's a, because of the number of medals that are available to women today. But the white ferns won the bronze medal. It was quite a dominant performance against England, an eight-wicket win. Get a total of 111. Now, that's a little unlucky in cricket, but it wasn't unlucky for the New Zealanders. They chased it down in 12 of their 20 allocated overs. So that was really quite quick there. And that was largely thanks to Captain Sophie Devine, who was finding the boundary with ease at each of us. And, and she got an unbeaten half century. Um, I was at that game and I was at the one with the close loss, semi-final loss to Australia the other day. And as one of the freshest faces in the White Ferns team, Fran Jonas, she's an 18-year-old spinner from Auckland, she was saying to me, the confidence they got from that really close loss to Australia actually helped them today. And you could kind of see that dig in and that fight and what it really meant for them to be getting a medal because cricketers at a World Cup, you don't really play off the third or fourth. You either win it or you don't. And then those silver thirds, yes, also another bronze medal, an improvement from four years ago. They, again, beat the host nation England 55 at 48. After overcoming them... They lost to them in pool play by 10 goals. They had a loss to Jamaica the other day by 16 goals. So to come back and get that bronze medal was probably quite a confidence boost for that team. Although they probably think bronze isn't where they should be, they are the world champions. Yeah, absolutely. A, a, a boost after a heavy loss to, to Jamaica, of course, over the weekend. Um, very quickly, our prospects for the rest of the morning. I, uh, there's squash coming up, isn't there? We could see... Uh, well, Mr. Cole has been in great form, uh, a gold already. Could add to that? Yes, he absolutely could. He's pairing up with Joel King in the mixed doubles. These two have probably had slightly different Commonwealth Games experiences this time round. They are both New Zealand's top-ranked players, so they should be in with a chance here again. They're up against, essentially playing England a lot today.
they're up against an English pairing of Adrian Waller and Alison Waters. And Paul Cole bet Adrian in the uh, men's singles. So I guess he's probably got something to prove, maybe on both sides of the court there. And I guess for Joelle, this might be an opportunity for gold after she missed out in the singles. And, but she has actually had quite a busy day because she's been in the women's doubles as well with Amanda Leders-Murphy. So they're through to the gold medal match for that as well. But that, luckily for her, isn't today. Hey, thanks, Felicity. Uh, we will keep you updated with all the action from the squash through Morning Report. Right. Uh, on Saturday, the Freedom and Rights Coalition again blocked off the main streets through Auckland to protest everything. It really is everything from vaccination mandates all the way to cost of living as well. Uh, standing front of the march, as he often does, was Destiny Church leader Brian Tamaki. I spoke to Mr. Tamaki at the domain on Saturday and he told me civil disobedience is the next step if the public feels like they are being ignored. If uh, politicians and our political uh, establishment doesn't listen to the people, then civil disobedience is the next step. And civil disobedience is to protect our freedoms and our rights. And our voice matters. He then told me those in Parliament do not understand the needs of what he calls everyday New Zealanders. This Parliament uh, hasn't just suddenly got, got corrupted in the last two and a half years since the pandemic. It's been seething underneath for a long time. They've no longer engaged with the people. They don't care about the locals and where we are in our regions, <clears throat> the high cost of living, you look where it is now, and, and the poverty with our children, and the separation, the division, look, it's, it's so clear, and you know what, the best people are not down there right now, there are people all around us now that have expertise, we need fresh faces, we need fresh ideas, we need, we need enterprise, creativity. So Mr Tamaki says there will be another protest outside Parliament. We've seen this before. That'll be later this month. Uh, And he says it'll be to urge the opposition to give a vote of no confidence. We'll be amassing a Parliament. This time there's there's no brawn. It's about the brain. We're there to actually do it properly and to appeal to an opposition that to this point has been cowardly. They haven't stood up for the people. And we want them to take a note of no confidence. And for those Labour MPs who know now that they're in the wrong party and this Labour government's going the wrong direction, need to join this vote of no confidence so we can call a snap election. But Mr Tamaki isn't putting his money where his mouth is. In fact, he's ruled out a personal return to politics. No, I'm not going back to Parliament. No, I have no interest in going there. Politics is so now intertwined with our lives. Nobody can say that they're not political or we're talking politics. Uh, garbage, scrap all of that now. And um, every, every Kiwi, warm-blooded New Zealander, now has to see that our politics will affect our families, our jobs and our future, and our faith and our flag. So we've got to now stand up and we've got to be involved in mapping out a better future and a better uh, way forward for our nation. And of course, earlier this month, Mr Tamaki was uh, back on the streets of Auckland leading nearly 1,000 anti-government protesters uh, who stopped traffic on State Highway 1. Now, you can hear more on the story, including an extended and extended interview with Mr Tamaki, comments from some of those in the crowd, uh, including comments from those who were at an anti-protest protest. protest. Uh, that's all on Checkpoint Tonight.
Right, it is 22 minutes to six. I'm Nick Truebridge. You're with First Up on RNZ National. Still to come, a cloud hangs over an iconic street in Auckland after a visit without warning from the council leads to the removal of a few well-loved features. We hear from neighbours as well as the authorities. And the Commonwealth Games aren't quite over. New Zealand already has 17 golds under its belt. So Chef Demission uh, Nigel Avery is live. Right, the professionals of Morning Reporter up after six and for a very quick preview of our flagship news programme is Corin Dan. Morning up. Uh, good morning, uh, good morning, everybody. Yes, uh, big political show kick off the week. Actually, we've got uh, Jacinda Ardern in for her weekly uh, catch up. We will talk about Nationals' new welfare proposals with her, and then Christopher Luxon, who is in to talk more about it as well. Our political editor will be in to give us some analysis on it. Also, yeah, it's quite a crunchy start to things. And of course, we will deal with the All Blacks and the amazing finish to the Commonwealth Games and the weather. Yeah. Sounds great. And you've got the songsmith himself, Mr Luxon, looking forward to it. Uh, Thanks, Corin. Right, as we near the end of the weekend's events and indeed the Commonwealth Games, New Zealand has racked up a raft of gold medals in swimming and cycling and gained status on the world stage in sports like judo, of all things. We've got New Zealand team chief demission Nigel Avery on the ground in Birmingham uh, to share some of his highlights from the game so far and look forward to what's to come. Morning, Nigel, or evening where you are. <laughs> Morning, Nick, how are you? Yeah, really good. Hey, let's um, let's actually, can we start with Aaron Gate? Because um, that's sort of the fresh news that we've got this morning. Uh, a fourth medal for him. And, you know, I remember last Olympics and he had this pretty horrific crash on the track. And he was so sort of philosophical and couldn't have been better about it, really. So you see this result, four medals, and you've got to be just so chuffed for a guy of his character, really, don't you? Yeah, well, he's certainly bounced back, hasn't he? And he's a, he was just a, he's just a machine. Like, through that road race, we were watching that, and um, once you listen to it, in a, in a, a transport coming back from the netball, and uh, he was attacking every... He was just, he was just a machine. Um, and, I mean, he got fourth in the time trial as well, don't forget. So he, he just did so so well, but yeah, I'm certainly you know the pain of what he um, experienced in Tokyo. You know, obviously the mental anguish and pain, but also the physical pain will certainly uh, paid back in spades um, over here in Birmingham. I know you're the big boss, so you're, you're strictly speaking probably not supposed to pick favourites. But um, can you give us a few of your highlights over the last um, well o- over the course of the games from the Kiwi team? Yeah, look, um, I think the the first live session I went to was the day one of, of the track cycling and uh, I thought man that's just unbelievable it was unbelievable I thought this is probably the greatest day in New Zealand track cycling history and I think they turned around and had two more better <laughs> so, uh, so that, that was pretty spectacular and then I think the um, the semi-final the mixed doubles of squash with um, Joelle and, and Paul like I really really felt for Joelle in, the, in her singles and you know she's you know fighting um, injury and fighting, obviously, the mental side of things as well. And she bounced back incredibly well. They played so well to get through into tonight's final. It's, gonna, it's starting in about 15 minutes, actually. We're just about to head there. So for me, that was a real... I've never wanted someone to win more than her in that game and, and even in her bronze medal match. Um, you know, obviously, the, being a, the honour of the flag bearer, I was thinking, man, I hope I haven't cursed her um, in that. But, um, you know, clearly she'll come away with at least one medal from these games, and she's got the, the women's doubles tomorrow afternoon as well to, to, to add to that as well. So, 
um, yeah, I was really, really, um, really thrilled for her for that performance. The Avery curse, perhaps? No, surely not. She's, as you say, she's going to get something. So there you go. Yeah, um, no, I was mean the flag, the flag bearer curse. Sorry, but, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. When, yeah, when when Tom uh, smashed that through the in the shot, although that was that was a relief too to see that go. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. Hey, um, but also some sort of I, I guess some sports that we've done quite well at that we uh, historically haven't really been on the radar um, on judo. Uh, is mm. one of them. Uh, weightlifting, we've 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 kind of done okay in weightlifting in the past, but uh, weightlifting as well. Um, I've got squash on the list, but we, we've generally been pretty, you know, pretty close with the squash. But um, talk to us about judo, for example. Yeah, well, I guess it's a it's a squad of um, of people who are super passionate about what they do, self funded, you know, and international travel and all that. That um, just really dedicated and determined to do well, and so um, you know they really only get the limelight every every four years. And, and this four years, three of them came away with medals. So um, I went and watched the uh, the preliminaries for that, um, and they were they were just on fire. Um, the whole team supporting each other, and uh, they did they did super super well. And self funded. So are they well? They, they pay their own way. They fundraise. They have to put in a whole lot of effort to even get on the. Um, well, uh, I suppose it's a mat in judo, isn't it? Yeah, they, they do, and, and there's many other sports like it as well. You know, the, the, the lawn bowls, for example, is another um, that, that don't, you know, don't get as much support as, as other other teams. And I think that's kind of the great leveller in the Commonwealth Games. They're all here competing together, all seen as the same. And uh, you know, they love the environment of of being around other um, aspects from different sports. Um, they all get a thrill out of it. So it's uh, it's a wonderful environment. And just uh, wrapping up, Nigel, your sort of lasting memories, I guess. Uh, it's been, you know, we've done we've done really well here. How do we take this, and how do we funnel it into the next Olympics? Yeah, well, I guess you know the, we only really get the get the athletes for a short period of time. The, the 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 foundation work is done by the athletes themselves and their sports. We're kind of just polishing the diamond at the at the back end of it, you know, for two or three weeks. And I think what we do, to, the culture we create, the feeling they get when they are welcomed into the into the group, I, I hope and I think does contribute to that success. But I think as far as the next games, the you know, the athletes like they'll do always. They'll just they'll regroup. They'll look at gap analysis, find out where they need to improve. You know, set some new targets and, and move on. And so I, I think sport in New Zealand, and, and well, these sports anyway, are a pretty good place. So we just got to, you know, keep on doing the right things, keep working hard, and, and setting those goals. Thanks, Nigel. Uh, Nigel Avery, there, chef de mission of the New Zealand team, beaming in from Birmingham, uh, where well, the team has done beautifully well. You'd have to say, and a couple more medal chances still to come this morning, which we'll keep you across. Uh, right. Well, to something uh, a little more. How do you describe it? Disappointing? Yeah, use whatever adjective you want. Um, if you got up in the middle of the night to watch the All Blacks play South Africa over the weekend, you might be regretting it by now uh, because it's five losses uh, from six games, a drop to fifth in the world ranking. So what happens next and how does the team, I guess, get out of um, what senior stuff reporter Mark Hinton has described as a pit of despair? The man himself. Those are strong words, Mark. Uh, Mark's joining us from Jayburg uh, at the moment. Mark, what did you um, what did you make of the weekend? I, I guess the headline back here, which we all saw in the morning, was uh, Mr. Foster's quote that this was their best performance of the year. Uh, he was asked about that again overnight, wasn't he? 
Yes, he was, Nick. Yeah, uh, good morning, your time. I said you the evening here. And Terry yeah. Bergen, quite a change of pace for the All Blacks. For us, media, we've gone from, uh, you know, the fringes of the Kruger National Park and, and the, what they call the low belt and the... Um, uh, the place where I was staying, I had giraffes and zebras wandering around the uh, sort of uh, estate. So wow. rather special to, to the big city, uh, a change of pace, and the All Blacks will be having a change of fortune. Look, Ian, Ian Foster what, uh, did a, uh, a media stand-up before travelling today, and, and I actually asked him, I said, look, do you stand? Can, can you give us some context about those thoughts, and do you stand by them? You know, because a lot of people back home, I'd fair to say, it rang a little hollow. Um, that we all know that wasn't a good or black's performance, and, and, and how could that be better than 4290 and overall first up at Eden Park? And uh, Ian Foster's an obstinate thought, so he said, you know, he pointed out all the areas we felt the team had made improvements. He pointed out that South Africa, you know, over here was probably a, you know, a tough team to play, and um, it just didn't, it just didn't, um, it just didn't ring true, Nick. Uh, these all blacks are out of sports. They're struggling down on confidence. Nothing's going their way. And look, they're a shadow of the team we're used to seeing, aren't they? So it's really hard to see how they can turn it around in a week against the side as good as the South Africa team. Coming to a venue, Alice Park, that is just a cauldron. So um, um, it, it, it's not, it's sort of a mission impossible, really, for the All Blacks, you have to think. Um, they have to somehow become a quality rugby team to have any chance within seven days when what for the week. Very low quality. We saw one team playing at one point. Intensity, passion, fire, a lot of physicality. Really bringing in front of a wonderful home crowd, and then we saw another bubbling through. And that was said, this is right up there. We'll rock it up there. We should say this thing is really at this point, and I think it's something we're going to yeah, um, yeah, not not the best line, Mark. So if you could just move around a little bit, we'll we'll try and persevere because uh, everyone wants to know your thoughts, obviously. Yeah, but the, the the team almost on the field looks uh, they just look tactically outgunned as well as I guess outgunned from a skill perspective, don't they? So if if they can't turn this around at Alice Park. What do you believe is going to happen next in terms of management, in terms of player selections? We might just uh, we, sorry, Mark. We might just leave it. The um, the line isn't great, but uh, do stay with us on the All Blacks throughout the morning because uh, <laughs> morning report are going to have plenty to mop up. Um, there's plenty of material there. Of course, uh, five losses from the last six games and uh, as Mark said there, Alice Park, a really, really hard place to play footy. Uh, probably, you know, one of the hardest places uh, in the world to turn around uh, the sort of losing record that the All Blacks are owners of at the moment. Uh, but before we go, last week, the Auckland Council removed swings from trees on an iconic street in Point Chev, Point Chevalier in Auckland. Uh, not only were the swings removed without any consultation, but it turns out a far larger safety concern was overlooked by the council recently. The locals, well, uh, they are not happy. They're not happy in Point Chev, 
and they could actually have a good reason. Here's our Leonard Powell to explain. Dignan Street in Point Chevalier is well known. Some call it the Halloween Street, due to its sheer numbers of trick-or-treaters every year. It's also known for having swings hanging from the roadside trees, which the local kids frequent with glee. But without warning last week, much to the confusion of residents, council workers began removing several of the swings. We look outside in the morning and there was two guys in our tree taking our swing down. <laughs> and we were like kind of shouted out the window and we're like, oh, is everything okay? And they were like, oh, we're removing all the swings from the street. We sort of said, why? And they said, oh, safety reasons. It looks like they've taken only the ones with any wood on it. It doesn't look like they've taken the ones with rope or anything like that. That Dignan Street resident, who asked not to be named, was one of those who had her swing removed from the tree outside her house. She posted in a local community Facebook group, which was dumbfounded by the surprise removals. You know, I posted that post and everyone's gone pretty outraged in the community because it just seems so over the top and kind of ridiculous that they can take all our kids' swings down. In a statement, the council say the swings were removed due to the damage being caused to the trees. This level of damage can result in structural branches breaking, presenting a health and safety risk to people and property. David Stayskull, Auckland Council Regional Arborists and Ecological Manager, says the work needed to be done. Unfortunately, two of the swings were like a proper construction with beams and bolts, etc., and other swings were installed in the trees in a way that the installation caused damage to large branches. The team concluded that to prevent damage to the trees and to keep our trees healthy, we had to remove the swings and, in one case, the structures that were supporting the swings. Mr Stayskull says his team may also look to communicate more thoroughly in the future. I can see that the emotional value of such things is such that it would be helpful if we at least dropped a card. So it hasn't happened in this place, in this case, and we have never notified residents about removing structures from a tree, but I can see that it's definitely something I would like to explore in future. This resident with three school-aged children points out the irony. She says she's surprised the council didn't consider road safety to be as important as swing safety. It's so bizarre because there's like other problems that are way bigger. So, for example, on one of our streets, going to our school, you know, it's super busy in the mornings and the afternoons with cars, just crazy amounts of cars, and there's no crossing for the kids to cross either way. So it's terrifying, like, letting your kids walk to school, so none of us hardly do because we, we want to cross them safely and there's just nowhere to do it. I contact the council about, could we please get a, a crossing put in, like, just even the white lines so that our kids can cross safely, like, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they did a big investigation and then they denied it. <laughs> I don't get it. It's like you're taking my swing down, but you're not even going to put a crossing in for our kids. Others say there are bigger issues with the trees than their swings. These trees are beautiful, and I certainly don't want them cut down. But the tree roots um, are so big, obviously they don't stop at the gate because they're the council. They've creeped onto our land. They've broken our sewer drains, which causes, at our expense, talking to the council arborist, he's saying, you know, there's damage was there and the trees got into it. And then basically we need to pay for the damage and prove it to the council. So for them to come and take down screens and spend money on such a trivial thing, if they're worried about the trees and the damage, they should be looking at what damage they're doing to people's property, the potholes in the street that are caused by the trees. This seems so petty. It's clear the locals are unhappy, 
and this won't be the end of their battle with the council. I get what they're saying, like, but it's like, come on, man. You know, that's like part of the character of our street. So if you've got a swing on your Auckland street, enjoy it while you can. It may not be there for too long. Leonard Powell uh, finishing that report from Point Chev. Uh, finally this morning, we'll go to a little bit of your feedback uh, oh, from one power to another. Uh, Tenby Powell, this person says, far more important than the ABs. Hello? Yeah, I probably agree at the moment. Uh, bless him, this person says. Uh, David writes, if Mr Tamaki had half a brain, it would be very lonely. To call him and his ilk, oh, can I say this? Uh, so our word would be a gross insult to any woman's reproductive organ, shall we say. Right, uh, that's it from us. Nathan is back tomorrow. Uh, and, uh, well, okay, one more. Why are we still sugarcoating this dump? Mark Robinson from the NZR Dump Foster and Call 0800 Razor. For goodness sake, it's time. Morning reports next. That's it from us. Uh, as I say, Nathan will be back tomorrow. Uh, go Cole and King in the gold medal match of the squash. See you tomorrow.